College World Series starts today. Who are some MLB draft eligibles who might play themselves into the first round in Omaha? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, freelance baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're proudly part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on MLB, and they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs branded Yeti style tumbler with every order. So last Friday, we talked about nine guys who were playing in Super Regionals who were first-round draft prospects. Funny story, all nine of those players made the College World Series. Their teams all happened to win. And so I've got a couple other guys who are either considered just outside the first round, borderline first-round guys, or, you know, first two-day guys that with a big appearance or a big tournament in Omaha could play themselves into the first round by the time the draft actually happens in July. Bracket one is Florida, Virginia, TCU, and Oral Roberts. And for the three guys here, the first one I want to talk about is right-hand pitcher Brandon Sprout from the University of Florida. Actually been drafted twice. He was a seventh-round pick in 2019 by the Rangers out of high school. And then the Mets took him last year in the third round. And he said, no, I want to go higher. So he went back to college. Started 17 games this year, eight and three with a 4.69 ERA and 96 innings pitched. 120 strikeouts, so 11.3 per nine, 240 walks, 3.8 per nine, and 14 home runs allowed. The thing about Brandon Sprout, and I, I think part of the reason why there's a little bit of question and he's trying to do like the third times the charm thing is he's been a little bit more inconsistent than you would have expected, but I like his stuff. So fastball, it's a, I easily, I have as a plus pitch 94 to 96. He can touch 99 with it. The times like that's typically when he's working in relief and it's a shorter outing, but I've seen him run it up a little bit uh, uh, during the game. And it has good run and sink to it. So it not only gets swings and misses, but it's also set up uh, to get ground balls and not allow solid contact and not allow barrels. He has a slider above average. It's some places call it a cutter. It's kind of it's kind of right there on that line between slider and cutter. Sits in the mid 80s, kind of has some some short break to it. He throws it low in the zone, and it's best when he's able to consistently land that at the bottom of the zone, either for a strike or in the waste zone where you're, or the the chase zone where you're going after it and you're swinging yourself into a strike. Uh, The third pitch, probably kind of the one that's the difference breaker there. It's a changeup. And when it's on, it really flashes plus, but it's not always on. So when it's inconsistent, sits in the high 80s, it's really a pitch that uh, is more geared towards getting ground balls than it is uh, swing and miss stuff on the changeup. And it's kind of one of the differentiators there. Uh, Has a curveball, kind of a get-me-over thing. You don't see it a lot. And kind of the story of this year is he missed more bats, right? The strikeout rate went up, but he walked more players. Uh, You know, his, his walk rate went up. 
And his ERA is like a run higher than it was last year as well. Uh, it's uh, uh, to to get his dream of the first round, you know, third time's a charm on this. He's going to have to show that he can consistently land that slider for a strike as well as the changeup needs to be on more often than it's not. Uh, we're not worried about longevity of the outings with him. It's just the quality of the stuff. So Brandon Sproat, a little bit to work on. He's in bracket one. They play on Friday. Another guy, third baseman Jake Gelliff of the University of Virginia. If the name is familiar, that's because his brother uh, is Zach Gelliff of the Oakland A's. But 63, 63 games this year for the University of Virginia. 331, 435, 731. 23 home runs, 49 extra base hits, 47 walks to 50 strikeouts, two for four on stolen bases. Uh, he is very aggressive at the plate. And you can see that a little bit. Some of that is in the strikeout numbers. I mean, 50 strikeouts in 63 games. If it was a prospect in the minors, we'd be like, okay, that's fine. In college, guy trying to get into the first round, you want to see that a little bit lower. And there's there's some that are actually worse than that on this list. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh, but the power is real. He has a very, very smooth swing. And then it's probably 70-grade power. The raw power is phenomenal. The whole question is, can he reliably tap into it? And we sometimes see, whether it's velocity up in the zone, things like that, that he can't always tap into it. So to have to push himself into the first round in Omaha, Jake Gelliff is going to have to, I'm not going to say hit home runs because that's not super easy to do in Omaha, and I'll get to that in the third segment, but he's going to have to have a good showing against fastballs up in the zone, whether it's laying off of fastballs that are above the zone or fouling stuff off that is you know, upper third of the zone until he gets a pitch kind of in or down that he can drive. It's going to be what Jake Gellif's going to have to do to get himself back into the first round. Defensively, the arm is good. There's questions about because of the, the speed and the lateral agility. Can he stick at third base so a good defensive showing wouldn't hurt? But I still think ultimately he's a third baseman or maybe a right fielder at the next level. The third guy, uh, shortstop Josh Rivera of the University of Florida. Kind of had a renaissance this year. Uh, had gone into this year considered to be a very good defender at shortstop. I uh, was drafted in the 22nd round at a high school by the Padres. But there was questions about his offense. And so he broke out offensively this year. His career home run total was 16 going into his senior year at Florida. And in 64 games this year, 362, 465, 633 slugging. 17 home runs when you count the postseason. 27 extra base hits. 44 walks to 26 strikeouts, 16 to 20 stolen bases. I mentioned the defense. The defense is plus a little bit of a question about his arm, as well as the fact he is a true senior. He has played for four years. So on some teams with the models, they're not going to like his age. The fact that he's a little bit older than a lot of prospects would be when you draft them out of college. But Again, the, the, the power production significantly picked up, and he walks plenty. 44 walks in 64 games, on base of 465. He gets on. Uh, he plays good defense. Whether the arm is enough to keep him at short the, at the next level or move him to second, I'm not sure. But the key for Josh Rivera at the College World Series, he's got to build on this breakout senior season by showing that even in a bigger ballpark, his power can show up. Again, it's not easy to hit home runs in Omaha, but 
uh, liners in the gaps, things like that. Use the good speed, take extra bases. Uh, things like that are going to be really helpful to show that the offensive gains he got this he showed this year are legit because all we have is one is one year of track record on these things. So we just need to see as big of a sample as he can give us to show that he legitimately does have a much improved offense over last year. In just a minute, I want to get to bracket two. A couple guys from Wake Forest, a shortstop from Tennessee. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs shorts make you look great, okay? They have this fantastic uh, cloud knit fabric that they created themselves. Uh, It is light. It is stretchable. It looks just like khakis but it feels a lot better than any pair of khakis you may possibly wear. The fit is a little bit slimmer through the thigh and through the leg. So whether it's the the shorts, the joggers, the pants, you look good, you feel good. And because of the the sweat wicking fabric with the anti-sweat stink treatment, you smell good too, wearing bird dogs. So repeat, you look good, you feel good, you smell good. And if you go to birddogs.com slash locked on MLB, they will throw in a free Yeti style tumbler with your order so you can look good, feel good, smell good, and drink good with Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on MLB for a free Yeti style tumbler. You will not want to take these shorts off. I promise. Okay, looking at bracket two, Wake Forest, Stanford, LSU, and Tennessee. And there's a couple guys here to that have a chance of playing themselves into the first round. Just like we did with bracket one, I've got two position players and a pitcher. The pitcher, a guy we mentioned earlier in the season, but left-hand pitcher Sean Sullivan of Wake Forest. 15 games this year, started 10, and had five games where he was working in relief, but uh, five and three, two, six, four ERA, in. 64 and two-thirds innings, 108 strikeouts, so 15 strikeouts per nine to 18 walks, 2.5 per nine and eight home runs allowed. So the velocity isn't mind-blowing you, like isn't blowing you away, right? It's, you know, lefties typically run a little bit lower than uh, than righties. And in this case, his fastball sits 92 to 93, touches 95. So it's fine. Uh, I think it's a little bit faster than a lot of the scouting reports have. They had early season looks, and they're like, he throws 89 to 92. No, he's, he's faster than that. Give him some more credit. Uh, but it comes from a really unusual visual display. So he he's 6'4", but he's throwing from this low three-quarter slot. And so the ball is coming from outside of his body, right? And then the release point, it's a hot, it's a... For a guy who's 6'4", it's a surprisingly low release point, and it's way outside. So it's almost hard to track the fastball as it comes in because it's such a weird and unique angle that a lot of guys just aren't used to seeing. Uh, Now, to to go along with it, he has a changeup, sits in the low 80s. It's got some fade. It has enough. I do worry about at the next level because of, of the angle and everything the way that it works, uh, when you're a righty facing him, you can see that ball for a long time. So there's not a lot of deception in this delivery, right? And with the changeup, I worry that the combination of being able to see it for as long as you can see it, plus the modest amount of movement that it gets, the fade that it gets, 
means it, that it has the potential at the next level to get hit a little bit. So definitely something I want to see him work on. And I'd love to see, since you'll have the advantage of TrackMan, uh, University of Creighton runs TrackMan for everybody at the College World Series, since that's their ballpark. So hopefully he'll be able to put up some great numbers uh, with, with the, the horizontal movement on the changeup. And really his whole game is horizontal. He's got the fastball, which is going to stay up in the zone. He's got the changeup, which is going to run back to the arm side. And then he has a sweeper, sits in the upper 70s. So everything's working laterally. And sometimes in college, that can get you in trouble with the, the, the inconsistent strike zones. In the pros, he's going to have to show, and, and against these good hitters, this is a good time to do it. He's going to have to show that he can have good outings against good hitters of both right-handed and left-handedness. Because when you're a lateral pitcher, when you're working side to side, and you face, let's say you face a lefty who crowds the plate, it's now a lot harder for you to get that change up and, and consistently, like that weapon, you throw in the change up where it tails off of the plate and they chase it, what a righty would do, it's very hard for a lefty to do that. So it almost takes away some of your lateral game advantage. So I want to see Sean Sullivan have good outings against batters of both handedness. Uh, University of Tennessee, shortstop Maui Ahunya, uh, transferred from Kansas to Tennessee, was actually delayed getting eligibility for a couple weeks, so only played in 50 games this year. 302, 423, 537, eight home runs, 28 extra base hits, 37 walks to 73 strikeouts, four or six on stolen bases. And the strikeouts, that's the big conversation here. Was, was a little bit of a streaky hitter at Kansas, but really... The batting average dropped and, the, and the, the strikeout rate jumped to about 30% when he got into the SEC. And granted, some of this can be chalked up to the late start to his season. There was a question about eligibility, and he was held from play for about two or so, I think two or three, maybe even a month before he got a chance to get his season started. So he didn't really get to do a lot of warm-up play against non-conference opponents before he jumped into the SEC schedule. But at the same time, you can see some of the same issues he had batting at Kansas were present at Tennessee. He's, he's always really struggled with off-speed pitches. He's never really been great on off-speed. He's a fastball kind of hitter. But good fastballs seem to give Maliahuna trouble this year too. And so in, in Omaha, he's going ha to have to show the ability to, to get clutch hits, to get timely hits against good stuff, whether it's greater than average velocity, whether it's good off-speed, he's going to have to show that he's better able to hit it than he showed in the sample size of the regular season. And I know you're probably thinking, like, how much can a tournament performance do for a draft-eligible guy? It can do a lot for a draft-eligible guy. This is the time for those – there will be a guy every single year. There's a guy or two that goes from either undrafted to drafted or mid-round to first, second round because of their performance in the College World Series. Cade Horton last year was a great example of a guy. He wasn't even pitching to open the season, and he was a dog in Omaha, and he ended up getting taken high by the Cubs. So, like, the tournament can do this if you, do, if you fulfill your part of the responsibility. For Mal Yahuna, it's going to be getting hits against good stuff, the good pitchers that he faces. Uh, third baseman Brock Wilkin of Wake Forest is another guy who could use 
He's he's one of the, he's the closest on this list of being a first rounder already. But there are questions about him because of the way the ballpark Wake Forest plays in and how it's assumed to be such a great hitter's park and easy to hit home runs. So 62 games, 357, 517, 835, 30 home runs, 46 extra base hits. He walked 65 times, again, in 62 games, to 51 strikeouts and went one for one on stolen bases. Uh, defensively, he's good. He's not great but he should stick at third base. So you're, you're fine there. It's not a situation like Jake Gellif where you're thinking he might have to move to right field. But offensively, the power is somewhere between above average and plus. This is a bigger ballpark than he had played in, as well as he'll eventually be transitioning to wood bats. So uh, I think his ability to catch barrels at an above higher rate is a useful trait. Now, he is a pull hitter. Uh, it doesn't really matter in Omaha. This is a big ballpark. It's hard to hit home runs. But I do think that if he's able to, to not be on a cold streak, because he's a streaky guy at times, if he's able to not be on a cold streak and he's able to get some big hits, you know, uh, doubles down the line, put stuff in the corner, send it to the alleys, maybe send one or two out, that's definitely going to help him get into the first round. He had a little bit of a, of a power outage during the season a bit, as well as sometimes against better pitchers, he seemed to struggle a bit. So the whole conversation here, the whole question is, how well can he, can he get the power to, to show up against quality pitching? That's the thing we have to figure out. In just a minute, we're going to get to the actual uh, bracket, the predictions, and everything else. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. Make your way to FanDuel right now because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500 in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. There's no better place to bet the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook, FanDuel. And obviously... Uh, a lot of the copy out there right now is there's MLB copy. There's talking about how you did in the recent seasons, but we're talking about college baseball today. And so they have not only all four opening matchups on the board, but you can bet the favorites to see who's going to win, as well as you can do a prop bet to name the finalists. You pick the two teams that'll be finalists. They give you odds on each combination of teams making the finals of the College World Series. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome back into Locked On MLB Prospects, uh, your home for all things minor league baseball. Today, we are talking the College World Series. We just went over six different MLB draft prospects who have a shot at carrying themselves into the first round with big performances in Omaha. But if you've never watched the College World Series before, or you're not 100% sure how it works, in essence, the College World Series is a combination of regionals and super regionals. So you have eight teams. Uh, the, each of these teams won a regional, won a super regional to be here. And you break it up into four, I'm sorry, into two brackets. So bracket one, four teams. TCU, Oral Roberts, Florida, and Virginia. Bracket two, Wake Forest, 
Stanford, LSU, and Tennessee. Those two brackets will, in essence, play a double elimination tournament. So they will play their own version of regionals, really. Uh, You go out there, and at the end of, of this play, which will end on either Wednesday or Thursday, you make the College World Series championship, which is... Uh, Saturday through Monday. So, bracket one starting on Friday. So, the day that this comes out, 2 p.m. is TCU versus Oral Roberts. TCU 42 and 22, Oral Roberts 51 and 12. Uh, That night, the evening game is Florida versus Virginia. Florida was 50 and 15 out of the SEC. Virginia was 50 and 13 out of the ACC. Uh, So, they play on Friday. The Rest of that bracket will play on Sunday. You'll have two games on Sunday. You'll have a game on Tuesday. That will decide the Wednesday game with the winner's bracket team and the loser's bracket team. If the winner's bracket team wins on Wednesday, they lock in their spot in the finals starting on Saturday. If the loser's bracket team wins that first game on Wednesday, you play another game on Thursday, and the winner advances, the loser goes home. Bracket two, like I said, Wake Forest versus Stanford. That starts on Saturday at 2 p.m. Wake Forest 52 and 10, Stanford 44 and 18 versus LSU, and then LSU versus Tennessee. LSU 48 and 15, Tennessee 43 and 20. That is 7 p.m. on Saturday. Their games, they'll play on Saturday, and then they're and then they play on two games on Monday. They have a game on Tuesday, and then the final game of of that bracket on Wednesday, unless the team from the loser's bracket wins, they play one more time on Thursday. The winner of all of that is the other team in the the finals. The College World Series championship will be Saturday is game one at 6 p.m. This is Saturday the 24th. Sunday the 25th is game two at 2 p.m. And if if necessary, because it's best of three, if necessary, game three, is Monday, June 26th at 6 p.m. Now, FanDuel, as of Thursday afternoon, has their odds out for who's going to win. The number one, the favorite, is Wake Forest. Uh, Wake Forest is plus 240. They're also the number one team in the country who has not won in a very long time. Uh, Right behind them is Florida at plus 380 out of bracket one, tied with LSU at plus 380 out of bracket two because... They've got the two best players in this whole thing, Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens, on their team. So they're always a threat. Uh, Virginia is plus 600. They are they would be the second team in bracket one, followed by Tennessee, TCU, Stanford, and Oral Roberts. Uh, my choice, I have Wake Forest advancing out of bracket two. I have Florida advancing out of bracket one. And I have Wake Forest winning the whole thing. And it's going to be really interesting how this is going to happen so it's unique when you go to omaha this is a bigger ballpark than most schools will play in right so the issue you have is the wind's usually blowing in it's a big ballpark you don't have a lot of home runs going back like in 541 games at this field including 170 college world series games there has never been a game with more than four home runs combined between the two teams. So your home run hitting teams don't like traditionally don't do as well in Omaha. 
big part of what Florida does is hit home runs. So we have to hope that they can do a little better with line drives and things like that. Virginia, I do like Virginia. They led the nation in doubles per game. Line drives do better than offense. Wake Forest was third in home runs, but they were also like top 50 in doubles as well. Um, But LSU, Florida, Tennessee are all like home run hitting, swing for the fences teams that rank low in doubles. So that's why that's why I like Wake Forest to win because one, they're good at both home runs and doubles, but then two, their pitching is very good. I think the two best staffs in this college world series, Wake Forest is number one. They that again, they play in a small ball, ballpark in Wake Forest, and that was part of the criticism behind um, Brock Wilkin. But despite that, Wake Forest led the country in ERA at 284. The next lowest ERA in college baseball was Tennessee, and that was a 357. So Wake Forest was beating them by 70 points in ERA. Like just by far, they have been dominant uh, across the board. They've been, they, they had a higher, like I think the, the strike percentage was second highest in the entire country. They allow fewest hits in the country. They struck out the most batters than any team in the country. And so combine that with the fact that they play very good defense. They're the second best team in this, uh, in this field at defense behind Oral Roberts, and they were a top 20 team on defense in the entire season. I feel like Wake Forest's combination of the fact that they hit home runs, but also line drives, they're like they're good with doubles. Their, their line drive rate is something like 18%, which is, I think, third best in this field behind Florida and Virginia. Uh, the, combined with the fact they don't strike out a lot, and their pitching staff is so incredibly good, I feel like Virginia, uh, like Wake Forest has the best chance. But if it's not Wake Forest out of the second bracket, I like LSU. If it's not Florida out of that first bracket, I like Virginia. But either way, it's going to be a very entertaining College World Series. The entire thing, every game is televised on some combination of ESPN and ESPN2 or ESPNU. So again, starts on Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern and runs all the way through guaranteed it'll run through Sunday, June 25th with possibly a primetime championship game on Monday, June 26th. Fantastic week this week. If you have questions for our mailbag on Monday, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, shows on Twitter at Locked on Farm. You can email us, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com or drop your questions in the Locked on MLB Prospects Discord. Links in the episode description, links in the show notes. Until Monday's show, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer.